Miss Snooty is not only a classic creature, but a classic party animal. Among those who toiled to please Jabba was an outrageous intergalactic rock and roll band. The lead vocalist was Miss Snooty. She was backed by Droopy the Reed Man and a keyboard man who is the blues. That's real good. And down you go, Billy. Basically background, Max Rebo's band became an unusual focus for George Lucas. They're just some, a whim that George has really pursued and has seemed to really be interested in and has a lot of fun with, although they occupy one line in the script that says something like, and then the band started up. Lucas instructed that the vocalist have her own number. Composer John Williams wrote the music. His son Joseph wrote the lyrics. For the film, the song would be translated into Hatties, Jabba's language. Miss Snooty is a complex combination of Rod Puppet and Marionette. She owes her most outrageous feature to George Lucas. I went in to see the first mock-up of her, and she had these little teeny lips, and I just, it just occurred to me, wouldn't it be great with the end of this long snout of these giant red lips? Mick Jagger lips. Jason. And this is Gabe. And this is our week two of coverage of From a Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi, the new book, 40 Stories, celebrating the 40th anniversary of the greatest movie of all time, Return of the Jedi. And folks, you you already saw what this episode is going to be. You know it's Phil Shostak. You know it's Kristen Baver. You know you're getting a really fun episode with this one, with 373 here. Yeah, you know it's going to be a good time, and you know you're going to learn some good stuff. You're going to have some fun. You're going to laugh a little bit. This is going to be one of your favorite episodes of all time because both of them, outstanding human beings, outstanding stories. And yeah, we said all week, we, let's, nobody wants to hear us. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to Phil and Kristen. Here we go. All right, everybody. So we are so happy to welcome back to the show 
Once again, for both of you, Phil Shostak and Kristen Baver, we're so excited to talk about from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. Welcome back to Blast Points, both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank Super you for having us. Back. Exactly. What Kristen said. Yeah, maybe we'll do this episode in stereo and have one of your voices in each speaker and then you can just both talk at the same time it's like a beatles song yeah Yeah. (laughs) people can dissect the harmonies i think that's Kristen. that's phil Yeah. yeah well as you know we both loved the book so much so we're just so excited yeah to have you both on yeah, no, it was a, it was a, an amazing journey to get to write our little stories, and and yeah, so appreciative of the people that 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 love it. Um, it's it's been an amazing project to be a part of. Well, that goes into yeah our first question, which is both of you've written uh, incredible Star Wars nonfiction, and you've been on Blast Points to talk to us about that nonfiction. Um, so going forward, what was similar and what was new uh, about the challenge for writing uh, a, a fictional story, a uh, short story fiction for Star Wars? Honestly, like the process was completely different, but actually felt in a lot of ways, for at least for me, uh, I don't want to speak for Kristen, like a very much like coming home to a place of uh, kind of comfort and joy because <laughs> I like I, you know when it comes to the art books I kind of agonize <laughs> over them and it's a it's a much longer process I mean from the beginning of writing one of the books till the kind of end of promotion after the book comes out can be like a year year and a half um, where in this case like writing this short story took you know just a, a few months and was just kind of like a pure joy from beginning to end um, and uh, you know I um you know, I, I've always been a creative person. Um, that's something that listeners might not know. You know, I, I went to art school for film and animation. Um, you know, I've always been a storyteller in, in some capacity, you know, self-published my own comic books and stuff. So this felt like, you know, a return to a place of great of, of great joy for me. Um, so it was an amazing thing to, to be able to do and and to take the time and to have the time to do it and to be forced to do it by a contract and stuff, you know, uh, uh, you know, because otherwise I can make a million and one excuses and, and be busy with a million and one other things. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was awesome. A deadline really lights that fire in a way that nothing else can. I find for myself, at least, like mm-hmm. if I want to get something done, have somebody else tell me when they need it by and I will get it done. But if it's just left to my own devices, uh, you know, it'll just sit on the back burner or on the uh, on, on the on the pile of, of things I'd like to do, I wish I could do, I wish I could find time for, I wish I made time for. Uh, so, yeah, in that way, uh, editor's deadlines, super essential. But, <laughs> you know, I will try to answer your original question. Uh, for me, I, I feel like the big difference is, you know, coming up in the journalism sphere and then moving into primarily nonfiction book writing, uh, you're you're always so cautious about the research and the quoting of the the quotes and the details and fact checking and making sure everything is correct. And it was so freeing to be in the fiction space for a change and to just make it up and (laughs) not worry so much about, uh, you know, any of that uh, beyond, you know, of course, making sure that the, the facts that we know about size noodles stay the same so that she's recognizable from everything you might know about her. Uh, from the Clone Wars, as well as Return of the Jedi, uh, and other things you might have experienced with her in it, um, you know. But beyond that, it's uh, you know you need a you need a creature to make her lips swell. Make it up, 
done. <laughs> uh, you know, which has never been the case for me, of course, <laughs> with nonfiction or journalism, where you know, there I've I've written so too many times to count into stories. Uh, you know that we couldn't find this information. We couldn't get an answer to this. We did ask this, but we we don't. We just don't know. Uh, you know, nobody we talked to could give us this information. Uh, you know, and of course, in fiction, you never have to do that because you just make it up. Yeah, to, like for the only pressure to be like make it interesting and entertaining is a really nice change of pace. You know, it's still pressure though. That's still pretty yeah, big pressure. <laughs> it is. It is. But I mean. If you're having, I don't know. I feel like if you're having fun while doing it, that hopefully will come through. And that, that was definitely the case for me. I was just having a ball writing this story, and That's hopefully true. the readers feel that. Yeah, and and also just to to echo something Phil said, um, you know, while I do have that background in journalism and nonfiction, my first love was fiction. And when I was a kid writing stories, you know, I wasn't going around writing news stories. I was making up stories and making up characters and, you know, coming up with, with weird scenarios for uh, completely fictitious creatures to, to be in. Um, so in that way too, it also felt like a bit of a homecoming for me or more like a full circle moment. I think of when I was a kid and I discovered how much I loved writing, this is what I set out to do. And now I have arrived at the moment where I can say that I've done it. So how did the opportunity for writing for from a certain point of view come about and how were the characters chosen? Because I know when they did the big announcement that, you know, Phil, you were writing for Max Rebo and Kristen, you were writing for Sisuels. It was just like that just makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, so how did <laughs> how did how did all this come about? Well, I want to come back to why why you felt like that made sense. I'm so curious to hear more about that. Well, I, wait a minute. What are you trying to say here, Jason? Maybe it was how long did you know? Because there was a lot of like size noodles talk beforehand. And it was like, oh, I, it was like even celebration. It was like, I feel like Kristen really loves size noodles and we're here for it. I do. I do. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. When, was it I who introduced you or at least directed you in the direction of, of Tori Fox so that you guys got together at Celebration due to your mutual sigh love and before your story was revealed? Yes, but actually I knew Tori from uh, when she did run Disney dressed right, as Pipes right, 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 Noodles. Right, right. Uh, but what I didn't know, because Celebration is in pure insanity, <laughs> for, many of us, for all of us, I think, on this call, um, but because it's so crazy, I wasn't paying any attention to social media, and I didn't right. know Tori was dressed as size noodles that day. Uh, so that was a big help where Phil like directed, like you need to go get your picture taken with Tori because she's dressed as size noodles today. But then I couldn't tell her. So the, all the, there's like a picture uh, series now where I'm like holding her hands and I'm hugging her and we're posing and I'm like so elated, but I can't tell her why. <laughs> I just think it's because of size noodles, like mutual size noodles love and how great she looks, which is also true. She looked amazing and we both love size noodles a lot. But also like in my mind, I was like, tomorrow I'm going to be on a panel and I'm going to say this thing and this is going to make more sense. But today <laughs> we'll just generally talk about Sai and how great she is. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, for me, um, I had been bugging poor Mike Seglane. Well, I, I bug him quite a bit. Um, and <laughs> we work together quite closely. He's the head of uh, Lucasfilm Publishing. Um, but I had been bugging Mike Seglane for this kind of opportunity, not like this specifically, but definitely uh, pitching story ideas to Mike. And 
Um, I, I originally wanted to write a story for, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. Um, and um, so, yeah, he was aware of, of my interest in doing a from, a from a Certain Point of View story. And it wasn't really until uh, Return of the Jedi um, from a Certain Point of View that, you know, um, this opportunity really came to fruition finally after three years of bugging poor Mike Seglane. <laughs> was that because your Empire story was about Max Rebo? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Max, no, you no, have no. a gig on the on Cloud City. On yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. cold for poor Max. Poor Max, he couldn't yeah. handle that. Yeah. yeah, no, and I think there, there's always like a bit of mystery in terms of. Uh, I I think, you know, Phil, I don't want to speak for you, but for myself at least, uh, you know, I I think I'm I'm vocal about the things that I love, and I'm I'm vocal about you know some of my aspirations, but that doesn't necessarily always equate into, you know, it's just because I'm vocal about wanting to, to write fiction doesn't necessarily mean that it comes to fruition. So I think it's just kind of a, a perfect storm of, you know, opportunity, but also, uh, you know, my hope is that Phil and I have already demonstrated our abilities as writers <laughs> in the nonfiction space, uh, you know, to, which is really different. I mean, it, it is granted, but- but also, uh, you know, good. I, I'm a firm believer. Good storytelling is good storytelling. Yeah. You know, and it's something that uh, I I learned very early on in journalism is that people are busy and they have a million other things to give their attention to. And so, if you do not give them a reason to keep reading your story, they are going to put it down and go do something else. So, you want to keep people invested give it a good lead and then keep going from there and make every sentence count. And I think, you know, just as kind of the, the bedrock of storytelling, that's true for nonfiction. It's true for journalism. It's definitely true for fiction as well. Um, and so all of those things really translate, um, you know, in terms of if, if you can write a story that's compelling, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, you can translate that into, you know, the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me too, I, you know, um, had been kind of dreaming up this story for quite a while. And, uh, you know, after many years of, well, not many years, but at least three years between those two books um, of, of bothering uh, poor Mike about this opportunity, I finally pitched him a story, um, you know, got up kind of the, gut, the guts to, to pitch him an idea, um, a Max Rebo story that I've been thinking about since late 2021. And I think I tweeted about the fact that I, I pitched the story to him. And my pitch was, um, the Laurel and Hardy, um, uh, classic, you know, uh, slapstick comedy short, the music box, which is about two piano movers, um, crossed with the origin story for Paul McCartney's yesterday, where he dreamt the song. Uh, and that was the pitch, <laughs> which is pretty much exactly what the story is, you know, from beginning to end, it's, it's pretty much yesterday crossed with the, with the music box, uh, short. So, and, and Mike was like, I need to read this story. Like right away, he was, he was like, that is wild. <laughs> I'm intrigued. So, um, so that, that was, but what, what that would story would become was not yet decided. Cause that was still, like I said, March of 2022. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it wasn't quite set in stone yet what this story would eventually become a, a certain point of view story. So I feel very fortunate to have had Mike's ear and to have held on for three long years before getting this opportunity. Uh, and it's an amazing opportunity. Really appreciate, um, you know, Mike for, for letting me do it. 
Which is funny because I think my story kind of uh, you know, came in almost like backwards then where it was more like I had the, the character first and then had to come up with the pitch you know, and my pitch was not as entertaining as Phil's pitch, to be sure, uh, because that just brings up all, it, it elicits so many images when you, when you say put these two things together. Uh, but was really more about trying to answer the question of what is what size noodles up to that you know she's not on the barge during this execution. Where is she? And you know, it. it I, I think Phil, maybe you had come up with the correlation too of. Uh, there's a bit of like that behind the music. Where are they now? Kind of a feel, mm-hmm. I think, with both of our stories, where mm-hmm. uh, it's like you can you can very much picture uh, either Max or Sai having to sit down for this interview and kind of like explain themselves and tell the story. <laughs> well, let's talk about your connections to each of the characters. Then, were you both members of the Max Rebo Sai Snoodles fan club previously, or what was it about those characters that that speaks to each of you and, and made them? Uh, you choose them. Well, I, I feel a lot of guilt because <laughs> Kristen is very publicly known for her love of of, of the Rebooty of, of Max Rebo. Yeah. And I kind of sniped the character out from under her. But it was a story I've been thinking about since at least 2021. So, and I'll, Phil, I'll give you an, an out here because uh, my love of Rebooty dates to really to the, uh, the Regal Robot maquette being created. And uh, you know, me working into an official StarWars.com article, uh, <laughs> a reference to the cheeks on the back of the head. And I think that was June of 2022. So that's like really when the Rebooty hit the fan, I guess. It's mixed metaphors slightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's mixed all over the place. But that's really when like Rebooty became, uh, I made it a hashtag. I just started talking about it nonstop. It's like, it, but it's sort of like that kind of unleashed something that had been like lying <laughs> dormant for me, I think, in terms of how much I love this character and had collected, you know, various, um, you know, action figures and other things of, of Max Rebo. Um, and then, you know, to, to have this kind of like funny bit about the maquette, uh, mm-hmm. then I just like ran with it and wouldn't stop talking about it. Uh, and you know, and now it's come up several times on several podcasts uh, <laughs> as of my rebooting love. Uh, I love what you did in the stories. And then, but, and then I come zooming in out of nowhere with this, like, you know, public announcement about, like, being, having written a Max Rebo story. And everyone's like, what? Like, isn't that Kristen's character? So, <laughs> yeah, it, I feel a little strange about that. That's okay. I can like more than one thing. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no, and I'll say... You know, I, as much as I do love Max Rebo, I love your idea for, I loved your idea for Max Rebo. I love uh, the, you know, the fancy man story of Max Rebo and, you know, my, my love of Psy as a character runs deep, but, uh, you know, now that we've written our respective stories, I don't see how it could have been any other way. Mm, I agree. And the great thing is both your stories connect and kind of cross and, you know, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of Rebo in the size noodle story and they go, they go <laughs> together very, very well. Yeah. I got a little of my Rebo chocolate and Kristen's uh, size noodles, peanut butter. We crashed it, <laughs> knocked into each other at the corner of the street. Really more of a jam. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. like do you remember the the peanut butter and jelly combo jars that were around oh in the my 90s god, yes. Yes. oh my god those are so gross <laughs> <Stripes>. <laughs> oh. yeah yeah 
it was like low quality peanut butter with low quality jelly in the same jar. (laughs) You put them together. It's even better somehow. (laughs) (laughs) It's like two negatives make a positive, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Yeah. It's like physics. (laughs) Science. Science. Exactly. It's science. Space science. So the From a Certain Point of View books are so unique and so special to us because they really remind us, uh, I know for Gabe and I, when we were getting in to Star Wars uh, fiction and comics with uh, the Tales from anthology books from the 90s and some of the Dark Horse Star Wars Tales stuff that was going on, the Tales from the Jabba's Palace book is a great companion to this one. Was that book on either of your minds when you started exploring these characters? And like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna write about Max Rebo band for from a certain point of view. Like, absolutely. Like, I actually have the book right in front of me, literally. Um, and it was something you know, both Kristen and I for sure wanted to honor the stories that of these characters that came before. So I literally have Tales from Java's Palace in front of me with the bookmark in, and the band played on the band's tale by John Gregory Bentoncourt. Definitely. Uh, reread this after many years in doing the research for Max Rebo. And, you know, both Kristen and I are kind of similar personalities in that way, in that we took the responsibility of writing about our stories or our characters very seriously. And and wanted I, I dug deep into the world of Max Rebo and everything that had written been written before and wanted to really honor the work that these previous authors had had done for Max, um, including, yeah, the, you know, comic books, everything, you know, just dug deep into all that stuff. Yes, and then I borrowed Phil's copy of that book. <laughs> That's true. I forgot <laughs> about I, that. I also read it. Uh, although I think for me, I had uh, you know I, I don't want to say it's an easy a bit of an easier time because I don't think that's quite the right word choice here. But there was more sci content to pull from um, mm-hmm. because of the the Hunt for Zero episode of the Clone Wars. You know, gives you a, a really interesting look into. The life, uh, uh, the love, uh, the love life of Sai and <laughs> the love, the life, the yes, life. the life and the love life of one size noodles, and you know, so I was pulling a lot more from that uh, rather than necessarily from from that story from the uh, from the Java's Palace anthology. But I think it was still really important to be, you know, hyper aware of what had come before. To make sure that uh, you know you're kind of you know doing this character justice, and also if you're making a left turn somewhere, you know you're doing it intentionally and not just because you have a blind spot and you're not you know aware of some story that's come before. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it just strikes me that we're talking quite seriously about some pretty goofy characters, <laughs> but that's part of, that's part of the joy of these characters, though. I mean, especially the the weirdos in both the Masaizi Cantina and Jabba's Palace. I mean, I have a very soft spot in my heart, and I have for decades for the those the creatures, you know, um, the ones that were you know highlighted in the creature stock for Return of the Jedi, um, but just all of them all together, you know, and especially you know Phil Tippett's designs are just incredible, um, and, and, you know, and obviously I have a soft spot for Max in particular, but. Um, his flippers. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh. Yeah, we can't let this podcast go by without mentioning the flippers. It's <laughs> a, a very important thing. It's you know, I've been at a place to be. You know, where, where flippers were revealed, as you might recall. I was in the front row of, of the place to be many many moons ago. We have saved the graphic. We have used the graphic in other places. <laughs> <laughs> we have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were very happy to see the amount of flippers. 
mentioned in in the story. It wasn't just <laughs> once; it was multiple times reminding you they're flippers. And I will say, there's also multiple rebooties. the The word rebooty, I don't think, shows up in this book. I was very sure when I was writing mine that my love for Rabuti would would find its way in there. And there certainly is a moment as Max walks away <laughs> where we where I, I made sure to make a mention. And I thought for sure somebody's probably gonna cut this because they're gonna be like, what is she on about? But they left it. They allowed me to have my Rabuti moment in the sun, <laughs> and I'm forever grateful. <laughs> I, I know, I know I was deeply touched by all the the flippers content i i was like oh my god they said it again and then they said it again and they said it again and it's like <laughs> it, it was you know it, it was the place to be so exactly who could forget the place to be well never forget so but let's let's talk about some of the deep cuts then the, the like the galactic funk shout out the mm-hmm. names of both of your stories fancy man satisfaction both very in the know titles that uh, so let's let's <laughs> There's probably some deep cuts out there that folks have missed. Let's, I'd love to dive into some of that. Do you want to go first, Kristen? Uh, I mean, we can we can volley this back and forth. Um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, a couple things that really helped me kind of get a grip on on size personality. We're finding some inspiration from Norman Desmond in uh, Sunset Boulevard, uh, and Blanche Devereaux in The Golden Girls, and. Miss Piggy, you know, the trifecta, uh, <laughs> of course, the three people you would think of. Uh, and I was rewatching Sunset Boulevard as I was doing the research on this and kind of, you know, figuring out uh, why I was so drawn to that, uh, you know, for, for Cy in particular in this moment in her life. And her butler's, who's also her ex-husband's name is Max. And I thought that was hilarious then because there is one deep cut moment in my story where she yells Max. And that's because in Sunset Boulevard, Norma Desmond yells Max all the time. And I thought, how perfect is this? That, of course, she's yelling at Max Rebo in my story. But uh, <laughs> it's it's such a deep cut that I don't think anyone but me would even notice it. Um, but I just remember, like, pausing and rewinding when I realized, you know, just how perfect that correlation was uh, in that moment. Yeah, I mean, and there's, uh, you know, actually... Uh, to be honest, I, I definitely thought of you guys a couple times when I was writing my story, um, Jason and Gabe, because like there's a few deep cut references. That I was like, only blast points are going to get these. <laughs> I, just, I know you're, I know the way you guys think. I know what you know. So um, I was just like, the, the two that come to mind are calling some of the denizens of Jabba's Palace super freaks. I was like, they are going to totally get what I'm going for. And the editors tried to cut some of these things out. And I was like, no, that's a reference. It needs to stay in. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, well, another that's an even deeper cut is I used the phrase next door to zero, which is something that David Lynch said when he was talking about getting the opportunity, you know, from George Lucas to potentially direct Return of the Jedi. That phrase always kind of stuck out at me as like a really like Lynchian thing to say, you know, next door to zero. And like, so I had to put that in as well. And they were like, no, that's, that's really bad English. Don't put this. And I was like, no, 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 it's a reference. It's a reference. Well, and I remember I was reading because we would, we would trade stories as we were writing them too and give feedback. And I was reading your story and mm-hmm. I gave notes on that too, where I was like, what is this? This sounds weird. Take this out, <laughs> rephrase it. And you were like, no, 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 it needs to stay. It's for reasons. 
yeah the the super freaks yeah we yeah that, that that's a, a wonderful yeah a wonderful one and even yeah just the titles too with yeah fancy man and satisfaction i mean especially satisfaction with the mick jagger lips yes. I, I love it yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about the title was I had two working titles. The original, like just the working title, which was like, I don't have a title yet, I'll just call it something, was The Music Box, which is referencing the the Laurel and Hardy short, which was partial inspiration, um, you know, where Laurel and Hardy are piano movers. But then uh, for a long time, I called it Scrambled Eggs. Um, and that's in reference to Yesterday, which was the original title for, for Paul McCartney's Yesterday. And I thought it was kind of appropriate and maybe could slip in because, you know, it's happening in the morning and it's like a breakfast thing. And scrambled eggs sounds like it could be like the name of like a cartoon about like mishaps or something. You know, oh, you scrambled some eggs or whatever. But but the editors were wisely like, what does this mean? <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, it, so, was, it was too deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a little too yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah. So so Fancy Man actually ended up being kind of a cool – Coolly appropriate title, obviously, because it's the English translation for Lopty Neck. Um, yes. And also that Max is completely not a fancy man. He's, in fact, he's quite the opposite. And that it, so it has a bit of an ironic twist to it. Um, so, yeah, yes. that's, that's how Fancy Man happened. Even though we do get to imagine Max in a white tuxedo, which is a pretty good visual. Yes, and that is that itself is a deep cut because um, that, and that again another Paul McCartney reference. I was it was uh, your mother should know video from from Magical Mystery Tour was what I you know what I had in mind that like Max Rebo's in a white tuxedo with a with a black you know plum bloom. That's that's uh, Paul McCartney and your mother should know, which is you know what's crazy, <laughs> Phil. That was actually the, my first mental image. Whoa! But I was just like, and I was like, there's no way, there's no way. <laughs> but then plum bloom. I thought of Master Codebreaker, but then oh, I course. thought like Max in a white tuxedo. I pictured him going down the stairs yep. with that little sidestep yeah. thing, and I was just like, there, "There's no way." But I, I, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> there's no, yeah, there's no <laughs> cut deep enough for for me, and 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 obviously for you guys as well. Like we're of like mind in our in our yeah. appreciation for the the, the wacky references. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like my my Rolling Stones references were like a little more. A little more gentle, or you know, a little, a little more, more tasteful. No, no, <laughs> no, uh, no. A little, a little more, uh, maybe just Appro- less appropriately, appropriately subtle and integrated. Yeah, sure, sure. I guess, I guess, but uh, not to say yours were inappropriately. Uh, I don't know. Some of them are pretty inappropriate, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, for sure, and it's something that uh, I think I don't. I always, I guess think a lot more people have watched all of like the behind the scenes content about the job as the hut creatures, uh, mm-hmm. because it was something that was so formative for me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growing up. Um, but you know, of course, uh, Phil Tippett designed size noodles and then George Lucas came around, picked, picked her out of the lineup to put her as the, the main singer and, you know, famously suggested that she needed some big red Mick Jagger lips on the, the end of that snout for Miss Snooty. Um, so I think, you know, obviously uh, Satisfaction was the working title and is the is the final title. Um, but something that I couldn't get unstuck in my head was singing Satisfaction, but instead of I, replacing every I with sigh, <laughs> which I'm not going to do for you now. But it's just like now when I listen to that song, I kind of hear it as sigh can't get no satisfaction. Um 
and I, I can't unhear it now. Uh, but there's, you know, of course, two other Rolling Stones references that um, I kind of, you know, baked into the story. But, you know, I, th- I think they come out a little more organic. I don't know. To me, they, they just, you know, they, they make mm-hmm. perfect sense. Like, uh, because, you know, one of them is Sticky Fingers, which of course is a, another mm-hmm. Rolling Stones album. And, uh, you know, Max Rebo eating jam and getting it all over the place. <laughs> and the lovable oaf that he is. If anyone's going to have sticky fingers or sticky feet, it's going to be uh, Max. Well, and I think I think that was another note where somebody was like, oh, I think they're technically his feet here. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be fingers. <laughs> yeah, I was like, fingers, it needs to be sticky fingers. Just trust me. Uh, and the real deep cut one is the poster that Cy rips in half in my head canon um, was the cover of the greatest hits album, Gurr, which is a, an ape with the, the big red lips. But instead of an ape, it, in my mind, it was size noodles, but it was like her concert poster from her heyday. Um, that one's so deep. I was like, I don't even expect anyone else to recognize this as a Rolling Stones reference, but I know <laughs> in my heart. Well, yeah, we've kind of got into this a little bit, like, how many conversations were there between the two of you to kind of have some interconnected bits to the story? Or is it more just kind of checking in as, as friends and, and coworkers of like, Hey, check out what I'm doing. Like how much of a effort was there to kind of make sure that these two stories were kind of in sync with each other, even though the tones were very different. So, yeah, I mean, wh- Oh, go ahead. sorry. Go ahead. Kristen. Oh. oh no, we're both so polite. Uh, I was just going to say, Phil and I have been friends for a number of years now. And it's funny because we're both real chatty separately and then together it's just like a nonstop conversation. And I feel like we've been in the same conversation for several years now. Uh, we're just like one continuous thread. So it's hard to, to separate out what is just our usual kind of, uh, you know, yammering on about day-to-day things and what is, you know, that real serious work of, you know, trying to figure out how the, the stories kind of you know, nestle together. Yeah, but we definitely had veto power kind of to a certain degree over each other's respective characters as they appeared in the other's story. So um, that was something, you know, that was important to both of us to make sure that the the voice of those characters carried over from one story to the next. And, I, you know, in my story, for example, like I had Sai being a little too nice to Max originally. Yes. <laughs> I vetoed that. And, and Kristen was like, no, Sai is like cutthroat. She's like not going to, she's not going to be, you know, at, at most, she might, you know, but not even p- pity Max, just kind of like be like, Ugh. but um, yeah, so I had her being a little too nice. And um, so I had to had to, you know, get that back in line. But um, and uh, and likewise, yeah, I, 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 I don't think I had too many notes about Max's appearance in your story, like how, you know. But but we definitely made sure at the very least that. But I mean, much more than that, we, we are constantly sharing our, our work with each other as writers and um and helping each other out and just being an honest voice of you know like um whether something's working or not and it's that's something that's so valuable for for writers in general to have someone that you know who knows you enough that they can be critical and it's not going to hurt your feelings you know because <laughs> so many people you know are, are less than honest because they don't know you very well and they want to be polite and yeah you know that's that's great or or you know and uh, and me and Kristen also have very similar taste and and, and, and that, you know, both those two, that combination of, 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 you know, respecting each other's judgment 
as as writers and also the ability to be honest with each other um, is so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that veto power over the voice was really important, even if we didn't make that many changes, just to make sure that in the future, when people were reading these stories together, when you get to Psy mm-hmm. in Fancy Man, she doesn't seem like a different character from the Psy you, you've, you read in Satisfaction, you know, and vice versa, you know, the Max in Satisfaction needs to be of the same ilk as the Max in Fancy Man, or it would be too jarring. You know, even though the the actual story beats don't really overlap and don't have a lot uh, you know in common on the timeline, just making sure that the characterizations really line up. Uh, and also, what I was not prepared for, and uh, Phil, I think this happened for you as well, but just in the process of working on the story and writing and getting so entrenched in you know size noodles and what she's like in my head at least, uh, I became so adamant that and confident a bit that I knew her so well that you know when I did read Phil's initial draft I could be like mm, no this seems like a little too nice but I could like explain it like I could give you a TED talk on why I thought she wouldn't be that nice to Max Rebo in that moment um, yeah and you really you get so you know it's like you were saying before you get invested yeah well not only invested but you're really in the character's head yeah like you really understand how they would react and how they would think. And, you know, uh, Sai and, and Droopy kind of make more, you know, they come in pretty late in my story. Um, and, and you know, they have memorable appearances and they, they're pivotal to the end of the story. Um, but they come in pretty late. And um, I really appreciated Kristen's insight into Sai in particular. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a, a vision for how I thought Droopy would be. Um, and, um, but yeah, but, it, but yeah, Kristen's input was invaluable. Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts about Satisfaction is just size personality. And she like it's one of those things where it's like she's a completely outrageous character. But you read that story and it seems like a re- like she's a real person. Like and, and it goes so well with Max's story, too, because like you can understand her disgust with him. when You just <laughs> kind of see like the differences in their personality and imagining these two people, you know, working together all these years and just how those kind of animosity builds so like yeah the two stories work so well together and i'm glad you guys were able to keep uh the different tone but also yeah kind of like the the core of what the character was so yeah it's it's really great yeah thank you no thank you for the for that uh and it's also really interesting because it's hard to kind of untangle it but it's like i know phil was having the idea for the max story long before either of us knew we were going to be writing for this book you know, Sai was on my list of characters, but I didn't necessarily know I was going to be writing her story. And so then it's like, they just keep kind of bouncing off of each other where, you know, I would read Phil's story and I would think, oh, I need a little more comic relief in my story. Um, you know, versus it being like this very serious thing about this poor washed up starlet who still is very confident and believes that she can, can be a star, but she's kind of trapped in this awful, smelly nasty dusty place um you know but knowing that it's it needs it's star wars it has to have the those moments of levity and then that and that comic relief well and especially for these characters who just i mean if you just it's hard to remember what it's like to when you first saw max revo and size noodles but but i mean they're pretty goofy (laughs) you know so and and i mean that that was really freeing i mean and i you know I, i consider myself a pretty funny person and it was just a, a pleasure to be able to let that side of myself out, you know, to be like, you know, this guy's pretty wacky. Let's, let's have fun with it. You know, let's get, 
you know, um, you know, as George said, like, uh, you know, what did, I forget the exact quote, but like, um, uh, about being cute. Dare, dare to be cute. Dare to be cute. That's it. Dare to be cute. Yeah. Mm. Like I, I think for both of our stories, we were kind of, you know, given a little freedom because these are pretty, pretty wacky looking and, and wacky acting uh, characters, um, and, you know, um, so it, it's a lot of fun to, to have that freedom. I think that's true, but also I don't think, uh, you know, there's necessarily higher praise than people reading those stories and saying, wow, they actually feel like, you know, real, real people, real characters that we care about. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I think the note uh, I got back from the editor, Tom, on it was, I didn't really care about size noodles before, but mm. now I now I do. And I thought that is the nicest thing anyone could possibly say about this story. Um, mm. You know, that you've taken something that I, you know, for him, it, she wasn't a character that resonated necessarily or, or very deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to tell this story and for, for that to change his perspective a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there is higher praise that that one can get from a story like this hey tom didn't say that about my story oh no (laughs) (laughs) he's like i still hate max (laughs) like max is dead to me he's even worse now i don't care about him i care about him even less we can all agree on joe yauza that's the important (laughs) thing here okay exactly but on that we can agree yes Yeah, yeah. Uh, I never realized there was so much Zhao Yao's hate, but I I get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a definitely a bit of like meta commentary leaking into the story. But I mean, if you think about it, though, it's like you know, just based on what we kind of gleaned from the pre special edition and the special edition, it's like the Max Rebo band wasn't you know Joe wasn't always a part of it, and you could imagine that side the diva that she is would not be too keen on having to share the stage with Joe. And, and, you know, and that kind of carried over into Max a little bit as well. So it was fun to kind of cast Joe as more of a, a villain. Um, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and he does like run right up in front of everybody in the camera. So it's kind of like that's exactly. like little knowledge we have of his personality. It's kind of like, OK, yeah, he's an attention attention hog there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's only room for one of those in the Max Rebo band and it's size noodles. So. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Droopy, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's a diva. Droopy's like the he's like the Bill Wyman of the group. Droopy's like the the George Harris. Yeah, he's like the precisely. Yeah, steady, always <laughs> there when you need him. Exactly, no drama, quiet. Yeah, he could maybe be like the the Ringo and the Charlie Watts here. He's like, you know, he's quiet. He's he's unassuming. He doesn't. He doesn't make nearly as many headlines as the rest of them. He's not he's not getting into trouble. If there was like a get back documentary about the Max Rebo band, everyone would leave being like, but Matt, but Droopy, I love Droopy. He, he was always in a good mood. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Exactly. Everyone would agree on Droopy. Droopy is great. Yeah. You know, we yeah. love Droopy. Yeah. 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 Is that the reason there was no Droopy story? Was it was just like, there's no drama there. You can't write a story about that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Actually, we were, yeah, earlier today, me and Kristen were saying, like, oh, a Droopy story. That's kind of an interesting idea. Like, what can we do? What could yeah. we do with Droopy story? You know, like. Although I do think in a book where there's only 40 stories for an entire film, a, a Max <laughs> and a Psy and a Droopy story might have been too much. Like, it might have yeah. been too high a percentage spent on Max and Bo Band. Yeah, it might have been one, one too many. <laughs> we, we would have been okay with it. Sure, sure. <laughs> So one thing I love about both of your stories is they kind of start 
in a place where we're familiar with both of these characters. And then like for Phil, yours, like you said, into a Laurel and Hardy. I don't know, Phil, maybe it's from following you on Instagram. I was getting like a Jackie Chan kind of vibe, kind of like mm-hmm. Mr. Nice Guy, like stumbling through adventures, a Buster Keaton kind of thing. And Kristen, yours goes in one place. And then suddenly I was remembered of all those, like you were saying, those wonderful uh, Clone Wars episodes with with, with Cy. Um, actually, so in my case, my story originally began with the dream. Um, and I was concerned, you know, there was, and there was multiple suggestions by the editors, like maybe this, this story should have a wraparound. Um, maybe this story should begin with the end. Um, and originally the idea was to begin it in Jabba's palace with the band being there. And then Max Rebo kind of, you know, you know, remembering his early days and his journey to the palace. Um, and I was rejecting that idea initially because I thought um, I didn't want to spoil the fact that the dream was a dream. So I felt like beginning with that was like kind of a strong beginning. And plus it's the origin of Lofty Neck, you know, the origin of Fancy Man. Um, so I, I really wanted to, to start with that. But then, um, Tom had a, Tom at, at you know, at, at, at uh, Del Rey had a really good suggestion in the next draft, which was, uh, what if we start with the, ex- with the barge exploding? And I was like, that's brilliant. Um, cause then it, you know, it would be the end of the organ, which is so important to the story altogether. And, and this organ that he, that Max inherited from his father. So that was a bit of a late development, the, the, the beginning of the story being, it having this kind of more Tarantino-esque structure was something that kind of happened uh, pretty late in the game. And I'm so glad that it did, because I think it's a much better story for that suggestion. Um, so I'm really, of course, I mean, it's these editors generally do an amazing job. And I'm, I, 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 I you know, I, I, having the opportunity to toot Tom's horn a little bit for his suggestion is, is something that I'm more than happy to do. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things with with these this series is that you do want all of the stories to tie into the film somehow or a moment in the film. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. typically when I'm writing, I'm considering that the person who's reading it may know nothing about what I'm talking about. They may never have seen any Star Wars. You know, they might be this might be their entry point, and I'm very cognizant of that. But for something like this, I thought, okay, if you're here, you've seen Return of the Jedi, or you have taken a weird <laughs> left turn. So we're going to assume that this is a familiar story to you. Um, and so just in trying to answer the question as to, you know, we, we know – Thankfully, now that Max Rebo survived the uh, the barge explosion because he shows up in Book of Boba Fett. But uh, where was Sai during all of this? Juxtaposing that kind of quietness in her dressing room with all of the chaos that's happening in the film, uh, you know, during that timeline. But then just trying to figure out, you know, where it hooks in, because I think initially I thought her story was going to start more after Ula died. Um, but then I realized there's, there's just going to be too much back and forth. Then I think we really need to kind of firmly plant it after, you know, after the Rancor's death, but like right before the execution. So things can move along a little bit faster. Yeah. I love it. She's in the palace by herself. It was just, yeah, it was like eerie and wonderful. And yeah, the whole, the, the thing was zero and it was just wonderful. Well, and it sort of reminded me of like when you're a kid and you for, you get old, to be old enough that you can finally stay home alone for the first time. Mm. And you're just like, 
I don't know if, if the other three of you have had this experience, but I remember distinctly being that age and being like, wow, the whole house is mine. I can do what I want. <laughs> I'm going to have a snack over here. Like, you know, I would like run around singing and just being goofy and, uh, you know, doing all kinds of things that maybe I wouldn't want to do when my family was home. Although now I've outed myself to the entire internet about it just now. <laughs> but, you know, it's like just that kind of that freedom of, you know, suddenly just being in a space and being all alone, but it's like, what do you want to do? Uh, you know, who are you, who are you when you're, when you're alone, I guess. And then giving Sai that moment, but with a palace to, to play with, uh, you know, was, was pretty fun. And, you know, her finally being free of the ridiculous idiotic contract that Max set up for the band, this lifetime <laughs> contract, all you can eat, you know, that he's pretty which, mad about that. Yeah. So it's, it's a freeing moment for, for Sai to finally get control of her own destiny again, which is, yeah. That, that's like the most relatable thing to Max Rebo for me. Cause true story. I was in a band and I came back to do like fill in a gig with them and I was paid in a prime rib. The singer <laughs> took me out for prime rib. So I have played a show for, for food, so I can totally relate to Max. So I would probably, you probably don't want to be in a band with me because I would probably make the all-you-can-eat deal. <laughs> <laughs> We've been warned. You are the Max Rebo of last week. <laughs> <laughs> kind of getting towards the end here. You can only pick one. Jedi Rocks, Lopty Neck, or Galactic Dance Blast. Mm, boy, this is tough. I mean, you know... My story is called Fancy Man, so it's like, it's like, you know, have a, of course, a, a you know, a forty-year relationship with Lopty Neck, and 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 love that song. Um, but you know, the thing that's you know conf- conflicting for me is is how awesome Galactic Dance Blast is as a, as a track. I mean, it it just rocks. But as Kristen pointed out to me <laughs> in the past. Sai is not on that track. So. He's not. He's not even on it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that one's kind of out, I think, if, if we're trying to come to some kind of consensus, you know? You can choose it. I'll just judge you for it. It's fine. <laughs> mm, no, I mean, Lati Neck, you got to go with Neck. It's, you know, especially with the role that it plays in my story. And I, I feel like I've even elevated that song even higher. I mean, it's, it's, it's groovy. It's very 70s. It's, it's a great song. Yeah. No, and I will say uh, Lopty Neck for me as well, not only because it just out of deference to Sai, because I'm sure she would prefer that one because she didn't get upstaged at any moment by anyone else yelling <laughs> over the spotlight uh, in Lopty Neck. But uh, there's just something delightful about the the Lopty Neck rendition with the the, the original puppets and the, the snoodles marionette that had the big tusks and uh you know and all of that that uh you know love love the special edition really love the the way that that Psy has actually evolved over time but you know there's there's still just something special i think for me about that you know original uh that original puppet and just that original look at this complete just weirdo (laughs) singer uh who's just singing topless for all the world to see, uh, you know, and just doing her thing, but you know, just having a really great time, you know, stomping with the beat, you know, with that one feather on her head. Uh, so there's just something that that brings me so much joy from that. But also, uh, you know, I will say, uh, as the, in the course of my research, I was trying to to figure out um, 
a lot of Hatiz translations, uh, not because they necessarily came into play even, just because I like got down a rabbit hole one day. Um, and so I did see the the translation of the lyrics for for Lofty Neck, um, you know, which which Phil, I'm sure you've seen as well. Uh, for, for well, learned my story. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But, you know, just just seeing that and combining that with, uh, you know, one of my other resources that I think Phil also used maybe for his was uh, the the Star Wars Galactic Phrase Book and Travel Guide from Ben Burke. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I have with, that right in front of me now. Yeah, there you go. And there was just there was one point where I thought I need Sai to say something weird, but I need no one else to realize exactly what she's saying you know, necessarily in the moment because there's so much Hatties being spoken in, in this court. Um, so I, I did use the the phrase idiot, <laughs> but entirely in Hatties, uh, you know, in the story, thanks to, to Ben Burt and his, his lovely travel guide. Yeah. And, and uh, for me as well, like the, the two um, Gungans in my story, um, their names are old Gunganese for tall and short. So that's, a, that's another deep cut from my story. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and then obviously the, the translated uh, lyrics to Lofty Neck and also like a bit of a meta reference uh, to Max being afraid of size spontaneous lyrics to Lofty Neck, you know, being a reference to uh, Jabba's lack of physical fitness and, and Lofty Neck kind of being <laughs> a song very much like an 80s, uh, you know, let's get physical kind of thing, you know, about like exercise and stuff. And that maybe that was creeping into Sai's subconscious when she was coming up with the words for, you know, but the, but the relief that Jabba didn't seem to notice or care. Um, so I definitely wanted to get that, you know, because I think that's been a fan theory since the 80s that the lyrics to Lappy Neck are in reference to Jabba. Um, so working that into the story was a lot of fun. I just realized, too, is the whole Max Rebo band playing topless? Yes. <laughs> nude, nude, or topless. In the case of yeah. Max, nude, and the rest of the band yeah. topless. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Droopy's got those shorts on. Shorts, yes. Yeah. He's rocking the cargo shorts. He's kicking it. He's got his keys in there, his wallet. <laughs> it's, it's hot in the desert. Yeah. It's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. You got to dress lightly. And you know it's sweltering in Java's Palace, too. Like, there's no, there's no good airflow in that place. Imagine the odor of the of the throne room. I mean, it's yeah, it's got a pretty smelly place. The frogs and a little jar on the side, everything. You know those aren't fresh. I mean, that water is like green. <laughs> <laughs> so, Phil, who is Max Rebo for you now versus before you began writing? Uh, I don't know. I guess I just feel a certain love of the character i mean i always loved max i don't you know um that's a really good question i mean he's i think he's just even more has a place in my heart as a lovable doofus you know (laughs) like someone who and 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 you know who i relate to on that level i mean some might say that i'm a lovable doofus so um (laughs) but also just you know and i have i have a long-standing relationship with music in particular um you know my dad having been a musician and growing up with a piano and an organ in my house you know um and being kind of surrounded with music from a very young age um so also just to appreciate you know an ongoing relationship and appreciation for music and musicians is something that's very personal to me. Um, and yeah, so, um, yeah, no, I, I think my, my love of Max just continues to grow and 
I feel like a certain stewardship over him now, maybe that I didn't feel before. And same for you, Kristen. Who is Size Noodles to you now versus before you began writing? Mm. I will say uh, before I start on, down that path that my love of Max also continues to grow. <laughs> <laughs> he is indeed a lovable doofus. Um, but yes, yeah, Sai is, I, I think maybe Tom and the editor and I had similar responses to Ty, to Sai, except that I did love her before, but I loved her in like a very shallow, uh, you know, wow, she looks really cool and haha, isn't the hunt for zero funny story. How does that even work between a, a you know, a Palawick and a hut? Um, <laughs> don't think about they, it too much. <laughs> don't think about it too much. I've thought about it too much, arguably already, but uh, you know, getting getting to kind of sit with that character more and really, uh, you know, see some of the 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 struggles I think for that character has made me uh, you know, really just you love her more, but on a deeper level and on a level where I feel like now you know, Sai is more of a, a, a person I know, a character I know, versus just a, you know, a character that I love the design of and I love the look of. Um, you know, I think it's kind of shifted a little bit in terms of how I see her performance in Return of the Jedi a little bit. Cause now I, I think I watching that, I sort of incorporate the, the side that I know from the story, um, you know, with, with some of what she may be thinking when she's, you know, performing and things keep getting interrupted because Jabba the Hutt won't stop killing people <laughs> trying to perform, you know, and just some of those, uh, you know, some of that consternation. Um, but, you know, it, and I was saying to somebody the other day that, you know, I was avoiding a different deadline and I started <laughs> to think how much I would love to read, uh, you know, the memoir of Size Noodles and really like get deeper with this. But then I was like, no, no, I don't want to read it. I want to write it. Because <laughs> now that I'm, you know, it's like what, what Phil was saying, but it's like now that I'm in it, I feel like wholly invested in this character in a way that I did not expect, you know, necessarily to feel having, you know, been the steward of this, but also, you know, really sharing what is, you know, for the character, a, a, a more, you know, intimate moment of, you know, looking at who she really is when the, the lights go down. That's wonderful. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> You know, and your love, both for both of you, your love and the, like, like, like Phil, you were saying, taking very seriously these ridiculous characters, that's something that we feel very deeply in our hearts, too. Mm -hmm. And that it's, it's very much appreciated. And yeah, we loved both your stories and the, the amount of care and the amount of thought that both of you put into stories for Max and Cy. Yeah, just... At- the amount of dumb references? No. <laughs> <laughs> Flipper references in particular. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Yeah. Booties. Yeah. Count the rebooties. <laughs> Topless uh, musicians. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's going to get some kind of rating. I can see it already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah MA. This podcast is uh, MA. Not safe for work over here. <laughs> Yeah, I, we just cannot thank both of you enough for these stories. Uh, on top of everything else that you both do, yeah, uh, these stories, yeah, were just wonderful and just brought warm feelings to both of our hearts. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and I just want to add, like, you know, we, 
one of the the loneliest jobs sometimes is is being a writer because you're just kind of off with your own imagination writing something and you don't have any idea if it's going to resonate or work for anyone besides you because you can see the whole thing playing out like a movie in your head. Um, So it's really been wonderful to, you know, I think Phil probably was the the first audience that I shared Psy with because I wanted feedback. And, you know, there's always a point in writing where you can't see the forest for the trees and you're completely lost and you 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 wake up thinking that everything you've written is great and then you go to bed thinking everything you've written is awful and you <laughs> need someone else to be kind of that sounding board but it's really just been delightful to see people discovering all of the stories in this anthology and getting mm-hmm. that feedback and hearing from you know people who are, are really loving all of these very different weird characterizations of all of these characters that we love from Return of the Jedi. Yeah, to be able to say like, hey, I guess I'm not a terrible writer. Because, <laughs> you know, we all have, yeah, I mean, we all have, uh, you know, imposter syndrome at the end of the day. All, I think all creatives have that in common. So um, it's great to get some validation and, to, uh, and you know, starting, of course, with Kristen and I sharing our stories with each other. So it's, it's, it's a really great thing. Well, and yeah, thanks again for sharing your stories about writing these stories with us and and making us look good with uh, having (laughs) entertaining answers. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Introducing Size Noodles and the Rebo Band. Jabba the Hutt action playset sold separately. Play it again, Sai. Starring Size Noodles, Droopy McCool on clarinet, Max Rebo on organ. Ribbit Rebo. <laughs> Dance, Droopy. It's your last Snoodles. Use Size Noodles and the Rebo Band. Jabba the Hutt action playset sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. everybody apple podcast reviews guess what first time we've ever said it on this show when you get done listening we would love it if you would write something nice over there if you listen on apple so more people can find blast points when they're looking for star wars podcasts and if you listen on spotify leave a five star review there too yeah why don't we ever tell people that we really should listen there's a first time for everything it's we're it's a new thing that we're starting so yeah yeah, and we should probably let you know we have a website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And wouldn't you believe it, we have the Super Chill Group on Facebook. You probably never heard of that either, but it's definitely someplace you want to be. 
you know, we say that joking, but somebody somewhere, this could be their first episode they've ever listened to. And there's somebody who's like, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a BlastPointsPodcast.com. I want to search for back episodes there. You can do that. If you want to hear Phil Shostak when he was on talking about Hot for Teacher, the Van Halen song with Tom Spina, the BlastPointsPodcast.com is a good place to search for that. And we have the Blast Points Army on Patreon where we've been doing sneak previews of episodes before they come out. There's tons of stuff on there, like Bad Batch Review episodes, Mandalorian, all kinds of crazy commentaries for all kinds of crazy stuff. And if you are a member of the Blast Points Army, thank you so, so, so much for your support. But that wraps up 373, an outstanding episode with outstanding people. In my opinion, it was a good one. Thank you again to Kristen and Phil. Thank you to all the good people at Delray Books for working so hard to get this conversation happening. And if you have not yet picked up a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi, what are you waiting for? It is a hot book full of hot stories written by the best people. So get out there and get a copy. So we will be back again next week with another all-new episode talking about who knows what, some kind of madness. But until then, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Snooty's basic movements were provided by puppeteer Tim Rose, working below her stage. His legs were connected to hers by rods, so she could duplicate his steps precisely. Her microphone was also controlled from below stage, also by a rod. This, in turn, controlled movement of Snooty's snoot, which was connected to the mic by a wire that would be invisible in the final film. More wires connect Snooty's upper body with another operator who works her as if she were a giant marionette. Her song was written in English but translated into Hatiz, Jabba's official court language.